Well, Happy New Year, church. We have a fresh word, a special thing we're doing uh, to start the new year, to kick off our fast. We're going to ask you to stand to your feet with us to honor God's word. We have an elder-led team preach. We're going to preach out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray together. Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word. Father, all of us, with all the complications of uh, life in 2019, the distractions, the man-centered resolutions that many of us are already failing in, uh, the distractedness. It takes a miracle to even be present to hear what you're saying. But you're so gracious to grant us a miracle. And we're asking for that, that we would be present to hear you, that you'd give us power to obey. And Lord, I'm praying that you would do such a work that life itself would be that simple, that we would listen and obey, and that the adventure that comes from that, Jesus, would bring peace and power like we've never seen before. Amen. Church, you hear us say it. You see it plastered on the wall. Honor God and make disciples. But our concern as an elder team is that if you just get used to hearing these words and there is a certain level of unsanctified familiarity, but you don't hear the the direction and the substance behind it with regularity, that you'll miss the potency of what God is calling us to be and therefore do together. So we as a team of newly appointed elders have spent some time together in prayer and discussion. And we want to give you a, a fresh perspective about what it means to honor God and make disciples. We want to zero in on Matthew 4, verses, verse 19 in particular. Jesus came to these brothers and he said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now we're going to slow down and we're going to break down this one verse in three portions, just a few words at a time, drawing out three different implications of what this means to who we are as a church 
and what we do as a church together. I'm going to share the first part of the, the verse and the first implication that comes from that, and that is this. Number one, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. The implication that, I, that we draw out of this is that discipleship is, first of all, about yielding to Jesus every day and honoring him. Before anything else, before any other activity that you could define, discipleship is about following Jesus. He says, follow me. He doesn't, he doesn't say, follow this, this set of principles. He says, follow me. And in a moment, two brothers who had previous to this known and defined themselves as brothers that shared a, a dad named Jonah that fished, now their whole life trajectory is radically changed. And they're actually brothers in a deeper sense with a more eternal blood. They're brothers under their following mutually of this mysterious one. And it says that when he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20 says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. I don't care how many times you've heard this verse 20. This should be very strange. Like picture it. A religious man comes to them and says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A little bit of a cryptic thing to say to people you've never met. But they did it. Not just that, but immediately they left their nets and followed him. What we tend to call people who do things just overnight, make changes and do something else, we tend to call these people impulsive. Now, it can be a a good kind of impulsive, like Peter was here, just following God, right? But oftentimes, people make drastic changes overnight. We call it abrupt. But these disciples didn't change overnight. They didn't even wait a night. It says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. What sort of person could garner this type of following? Where he says, follow me, and immediately, they do. Discipleship is first and foremost a call to follow Jesus before it's any other activity or things that we do or understand or grow in understanding It starts with Jesus, but look, it also ends with Jesus. It's never not a call to follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus into bigger and better things because Jesus is the biggest and the best thing. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence in Genesis and the one who comes back in Revelation and allows the people who follow him to reign forever and ever. Life starts again by following Jesus, and it never stops. I've spent way too much time in the last 21 years of my Christian life trying to figure out what I need to do for Jesus, when all too often Jesus is telling me, look, we'll figure out what to do in the activities. I'm wanting you to be present with me and be with me, to sit at my feet, son. Stop doing things, in fact, and be with me. Abraham, father of faith, was called by God 
to be the father of nations. But before he, he learned about what that is and where he would go and what, did he need to, what he needed to do, he first left everything else behind without any sort of direction of the other and just followed God by faith. He followed God for who God is in relationship with God. And that's what God is calling Andrew and Peter to. And that's what he's calling us to. It's first and foremost about relationship before any other sort of activity. Uh, The three of us this weekend got to spend a a lot of good time together. Uh, With our wives, we went away. We we had fun. We we prayed. We talked. uh, We shared good meals together. It was a blast. But let me tell you, it wasn't the good meals that made, made it so great. And it wasn't the activities. It was just that we like each other. And we enjoy one another. And essentially, that's the deepest thing about who we are and what we do together as elders. Is that we're first and foremost related to one another by covenant. And in a much greater way, that's what's to define your walk as a Christian. First and foremost, it's a relationship with Jesus. What makes the life of a Christian exhilarating is Jesus. Before the things that he calls you to do with him, for him, the experiences that he leads you into, it's exhilarating because he is exhilarating. Knowing the person of Jesus is amazing. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Many people can garner followers by saying, you know, follow me and I'll make you rich. Follow me and I'll do all these other things for you. And can maybe get people to follow them. But before Jesus calls us to fish for men, and these two men are going to explain more about what that means with what we do, before it's any of those things, it's, it's a call to Jesus. And what we do, the mystery of what we do, is beautiful because it's framed by who calls us. And so therefore the difficult parts, which there are, of church, and of discipleship can still be joyful. Not because it's mind over matter or we just convince ourselves that bad stuff is good or nonsense like that or like, you know, betrayal is fun or, you know, heartache is cool. No. It's joyful because the presence of Jesus trumps any other difficulty. That if we're with him, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. He understood that that meant some some of y'all will be beheaded, tortured. Some of y'all will be locked up by a, a Chinese communist government. But he said, before he ascended into heaven, yea, lo, I will be with you until the ends of the age. And so it can be joyful amidst all sorts of anxieties and difficulty. Because Jesus is the one that's calling us to follow him into these things. Westminster Catechism uh, has been, since the, the, the Great Reformation, has been taught to young kids. The number one, the chief end of man, the purpose of mankind. Does anyone remember this? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, one of my Heroes in the faith, pastor in Minnesota named John Piper, he changes the conjunction, I think rightly so, 
uh, from and to by. He says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. It glorifies God to be... Uh, to gain all the pleasure and joy of following him in knowing him. And if, if we ever are prone to think, if anyone ever decides that knowing Jesus gets old, it's because you don't know Jesus. It doesn't get old. He's exhilarating. Being, walking in relationship with him in the highs and the lows of, of the difficulties of what he calls us to do, it's always beautiful, joyful, mysterious, because Jesus is. It's an adventure because Jesus is an adventure. It's glorious because Jesus is glorious. I'm almost certain that none of the disciples ever saw miracles that Jesus did and just spent time with the mystery of how glorious and wonderful and brilliant Jesus is and stopped in those moments and thought, man, I'm bored. I need to go binge on some Netflix. Almost certain. Because following Jesus isn't boring. We're boring. And so following Jesus redirects our boring parts, subordinates them with a greater adventure. Jesus knows our worst problems and how we're in and of ourselves unfit to follow him. And when he calls and says, follow me, be with me, he's already done everything on the cross through his blood to purchase the right to cleanse us, to be capable of being in his presence and enjoying him forever. So when he says, follow me, he has paid a high price to make space in relationship to be with him. And first and foremost, discipleship is about following Jesus. It's about honoring him, honoring God, making disciples. This is why we're passionate about prayer our weekly prayer meeting, we invite everyone to at 9, at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're starting to probably need a bigger room to have it in. We want it to be a regular rhythm of what we do. We honor God, and, and church, church happens, and it's exhilarating because God is gracious to show up. And we continuously call on him and ask him, and he's faithful in that. We we pray together. This week is a special week every year, traditionally, that we have gone and started out the year in consecration and fasting and in prayer. We're inviting you to participate with us. A few things before I hand the mic over about our fasting week. Tonight, we're going to kick off as a church with one hour of worship and prayer. Five o'clock to six o'clock, we're going to start the fast together by worshiping him and thanking him and asking him to be present with us as we trade regular types of sustenance, like for some of us food, others of us are fasting uh, television or whatever else. We're trading that not just for emptiness, but for God to fill that space with who he is. Now, there is guides on these tables. These are free gifts for you on your chairs. That We want you to take these home. This explains what fasting is about. There's there is a daily devotional in these. And these are yours to help build your faith, your great faith, this week. To grow in the faith that God gives. And then we're going to end the fast with a potluck together Friday night, which check your emails for, uh, for sign-ups for how to participate in that. 
If you don't have our emails, then fill out a connections card. But we want no one here to miss out on all that we do by first and foremost bringing ourselves before Jesus and being with him as a church this year and as the, the foremost part of discipleship all throughout the year. Good morning. I wanted to uh, just take some time this morning when I'm speaking um, to share with you guys why, you know, we're so passionate about discipleship, you know, and how God has revealed that to us. I was hearing Peter speak, and, then, and it was kind of a common um, word, I guess it's a, a verb, uh, be. And you hear him say that a lot, being and be, you know, and... and um, a form of that verb is, is I am, am, right? So a lot of the uh, foundation to discipleship is knowing who you are. Uh, and us as a church knowing who we are. And you guys and all of us together are, are, are this body. And so it is foundational for us to know who we are. So, so we can say the I am. You know, Jesus, um, he is the one. He frees us, he grows us, and he shapes us. You know, I used to think growing up, a lot of religion kind of taught me, or I learned from it, or what I took from it was that, you know, Jesus came and he's told us, you know, the way we should do things, you know, and here's the right way, the wrong way, you know, do what's right. And that was kind of the the religious side, and I needed to do what was right. Um. You know, it's been a, an awesome revelation for him to show, that, show me, you know, he, he, that's not why Jesus came. God didn't send Jesus down here just to tell us what we've been doing wrong and how to do it right. Um, even bigger, he, he sent his son as part of his mysterious and awesome plan to save us from eternal separation from him. And even in addition... I will say even better, in addition, to save us into his fatherhood. Um, and, and for me personally, that was, it's a huge, was a huge revelation in my life um, to be able to be. could go from doing, you know, what, what was told to do, what was right. I had to hit these points, check these off my list, to being, to being a son. You know, um, he didn't just stop there. <laughs> when we believe and we receive that salvation of our spirits. Our spirits are saved, and, and it gets even better, though. Um, I used to think in the Lord's Prayer, you know, our, our kingdom comes as it is uh, on earth as it is in heaven. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's going to be later. That's going to be really cool, you know, and trying to figure that out. And then and you start to realize, no, 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 when, when he came, when the Holy Spirit in, in came and dwelt, the kingdom of heaven is on earth. And that's... That's that second part. We receive the salvation of our spirit, and God so much desires as a father for us to experience him. Jesus prayed that. He wanted us to pray that. Your, your kingdom in he- on earth as it is in heaven. And we have that opportunity. And that opportunity is, is to be filled with, comforted by, and be led by the Holy Spirit. That is why we're so passionate about freedom. So that we can live out of the fruit that he's made us. Made us individually and made us a ch- the, as a church. Um, 
you know, I say it, these guys probably get tired of me saying it, but I always talk about a fruit tree, you know. Uh, an, an apple tree is naturally going to make apples. You don't have to plant the seed and then really get in there and work on that tree so it'll make some apples. And a lot of times in our lives and in our churches, we focus on really trying to get that tree to make a better apple, get an apple out of it, when the key is just putting the seed in the ground and the right seed and knowing what kind of tree it is. And I believe that's a, that's a I know, I'm not a believe, I do believe. <laughs> that's, that is uh, why we're passionate about freedom, so we can live out of the fruit that he has made us to be, not what he's made us to do, you know, who he's made us to be. Now, I, I love, like I said, we say be so much, and got, we go back to that real quick. Somebody told me once, said, you know, you're not, there's a reason we're not called human doings. You know, it kind of sounded silly, but I've really held on to that to remind myself when I get into those times when I'm wanting to do and I feel like I'm not adding up. I'm not, I'm not meeting that mark. You know, I have to remind, that's a, that's a lie of the world. So it's a little sidetrack, but I, I do, I, I do know that I don't want to be a human doing. I wanted to share just real quick uh, how our, how God's equipped our church for freedom, you know, Victory Weekend's a vessel that God has, is using, has and is using to unlock chains, heal deep wounds, and break his people free from the bondage of anger and fear that have, that have developed in the, from their past. You know, I'll share just a, a small bit of, of my freedom story with you guys. You know, I, the freedom piece of it, I was saved seven years ago now. Two, well, I lose track of time, 2011. May, I received that salvation, and I was saved. I was saved from eternal separation from my father. It was still about a year before I, re- I really experienced freedom, and, and thankfully God had put some, God had placed people in my life, and, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit in me, and through this, these opportunities, I was able to experience freedom, the freedom from the fear and the anger in my past, the anger with myself you know, all the choices, decisions, and then this, I didn't even realize I had it. That's, the, that's the, the amazing thing that God and the Holy Spirit can do. He reveals those things, you know, that we don't even realize. He knows the depths, the depths of us. You know, I can, I can, I can figure some things out, but that, that, when he revealed that, that anger I had for myself, and I kept asking, why do I keep doing these things over and over, God? Why do I find myself in this place? And he revealed the deep fear I had. And that's whenever I really experienced the freedom of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'd, I'd, I'd received the salvation, the, you know, the, the received the salvation. I was walking through, I was still walking through, because guess what? When I received that salvation, the world didn't change around me. In fact, it almost appeared to be worse around me because I'd experienced the salvation. I started seeing things that I hadn't seen before. I started seeing, you know, the things that I was even doing that I thought was normal. I I was seeing through a different lens. So the world didn't change around me. That victory is something we celebrate. We celebrate that experience when we get to experience that freedom from from the anger, the hurts, and the fears from our past. Once we experience that, you know, growth groups are a powerful way that we as a church— that he's empowered us to grow in that freedom in our present life. 
You know, when I experienced that fear, like I said, the world didn't change around me. There was a light switch that came on, that fear, that underlying fear. I was making a lot of choices still, even saved, and I was making these choices, and he, opened, he turned that light switch on. And I tell everybody, it was like I was fighting this monster my whole life. And even after I was saved, I still felt like I was fighting this monster. You know, and, and what I know now, I can tell you from being on the other side of it, it was a fear. It, it was a, a fear of, of, a deep fear of being alone. So as I, I was sitting there fighting, and then when God revealed that, and I was able to repent, to see that as God sees it, that's the light switch that came on for me. It was like I was in a dark room swinging haymakers my whole life and could never hit anything. And then the switch came on, and I tell him it was like, it was, in my mind, I'd been fighting this monster my whole life, and there was a little cockroach in the corner when the light came on. And, and that was so powerful. So then life had to keep going. So how has God empowered us? Um, for the present. The growth groups are a powerful opportunity that God is allowing us to continue to grow and shape us. You know, I still find myself getting angry and fearful. You know, I'm able to repent and deal with that from a place of victory. You know, growth groups are a big part of that. It's, it's a safe place to be able to grow. It's a safe place to be able to, 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 that God is revealing where we need to repent and also brothers and sisters to, to walk with us in that repentance and that accountability. Not so not so that we can do the right thing. You know, we don't do growth groups so we can be better Christians. You know, we do it so we can grow in our relationship with our Father. You know, I'm going to say that one more time. We don't do growth groups to get people to be better Christians. We do them so that we can grow in our relationships with our Father, in our relationship with our Father. You know, I was thinking real quick, kind of close on this. God's shown me so much being a father. Um, an, an imperfect father, you know, that I think about my deepest desire, you know, for my children. It's not so that they'll get all the chores done that I have them listed. I mean, I, I'm, I get excited when they'll pick their toys up, and it's an, out of that obedience. But that's not my deepest desire. In fact, my deepest desire is for them to know God. My, as a father, and, I, and I, I can say this because I had to repent, my, my deepest desire as, as a father was for my children to know me. And I, and I know that because I had, a, I had flipped that to a fear to where I was actually just having this anxiety and fear that what if I die before my kids get to be five or six, seven years old? Will they know me? And, and it, was, it, was, it was almost debilitating. It got, to where it, was, I, I, it, it got to where it was hard to leave the house on trips. Um, and he really revealed that to me. So there's, a lot of, there's, there's ongoing freedom and repentance in that that fear. But point being, that shows the deep desire I have as a father for my children to know me. That's the, that was the deepest. So I can only imagine, I can't imagine, I can't even imagine a speck of our father's desire for us to know him. If that desire is so deep in me as a father who was created in his image, I can, can't even imagine a speck of how much his desire for his children, us, to know him. So I'm going to close on this. God frees us, he grows us, and he shapes us. And he has revealed to us how our church can be a vessel of that unconditional love so that all people can experience him here as his kingdom has come on earth as is in heaven. So thank you, Jesus, for that.
And uh, thank you, guys. So point number three, fishers of men. So if you saw me yawning a little bit up here, it's because even though I'm the youngest of the elder team, I still need to go to bed earlier than these guys here. Um, what is fishing for men? I'm going to first tell you what it's not, okay? So my, uh, my dad and my uncle, when they were younger, my grandma, she always told them, she said, I don't want you fishing on a Sunday. Don't go fishing on a Sunday. Um, she's very, very religious, loved the Lord, and, but what do you think they did? They went fishing on a Sunday. And her thing was, she said, if you go fishing on a Sunday, and this is what she would say, you're going to beat and pull the devil out of that water. <laughs> so they go fishing on the Sunday, and uh, my uncle, there's a, a creek that was near their house, and he gets ready to, to cast out his, his, uh, his reel and his line. And he goes, he pulls back, and then he gets ready to pull up to throw it forward, and he catches something. But it was my dad's nose that he caught. So he hooks him in the nose. And as you can imagine, that's, that's terrible, okay? And as you can also imagine, they didn't go fishing on a Sunday again. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about fishing for men, okay? My dad was all right, by the way. He, he was okay. A few, few stitches later. So fishing for men, what does that mean? It means to win others for Christ, to influence people, to persuade others, to tell others about Jesus. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And why is this statement important? So when Jesus, he asked Peter, he doesn't ask Peter and Andrew to follow him. He commands them to. And so fishing for men, it starts with obedience to God. And Jesus, he gives us a similar command. Before he ascends into heaven, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. And when Jesus goes and speaks to to Peter and Andrew, he speaks to them in a way that they can understand. Because they are fishermen. It, It was their job. And so fishing for something was not foreign to them. Just like when he tells us to go and to share information, to share news, to influence other. That's not influence others. That's not foreign to us either. So Peter and Andrew, they didn't just decide to go fishing on this one day like my my dad and my uncle. It wasn't just for fun, for sport. It was their occupation. It was their livelihood. It's how they put food on the table. And so if you picture this, Jesus, he's literally showing up to these guys' workplace. And in a simple sentence, he presents to them a humongous challenge. In that day and age, Jesus is basically saying to them that the fishing that you're doing now to support yourselves and your family it pales in comparison to the fishing I will show you that will transform people and feed the world. So Jesus called these men into relationship and to a partnership, to partner with him in his master plan. The same calling to relationship and partnership is for all Christians today. God has chosen to intimately involve us in saving people for his kingdom. He gives us ownership. He gives us responsibility. He commands us to influence others for his kingdom, and we are to respond in obedience. 
Therefore, when a person becomes a Christian, every relationship and interaction now carries with it a new level of significance. That's why we are passionate about praying for and engaging with people who otherwise don't have or want anything to do with God. We write the names of these people on what we call our VIP prayer list. And then in our growth groups, as Jess was mentioning, we're intentional about praying these specific names because these are people who we interact with on a daily basis, our coworkers, our classmates, people we see at HEB, on the bus, in the gym. And so God, we believe, he has placed us where we are for a reason, and he wants to use us to lead that person to faith someday. So we pray, we believe, and we invite people who are not currently here in this church or currently coming to our growth groups in an effort so that they will come one day. We're believing that God is going to do something miraculous in their lives through us. And so the implications of this should also make us a hospitable people. Along with my, my role as an elder, I'll also have the opportunity to oversee the hospitality team and grow personally in that area. You know, I think that God has designed us all to, to connect with people, to connect with one another. And it may be common for some people, some of you here to say, like, I don't really care for attention. I don't really want attention. I don't need it. But um, one of my goals for hospitality is that nobody would ever feel overlooked. I think that everybody who comes through that door, they want to be seen, okay? Everybody on the outside of here, they want to be seen as well. I love what Hagar, what she says to God when he goes and speaks to her, she's hurting, she's alone, and she says that you are the God who sees. Because he sees us in our, in, in our affliction, in our hurting, in our time of need. And so that's, one of the, that's part of the vision that, that God has placed in my heart is that we want to see and make sure that everybody knows that they're cared for and they're loved here. And so Jesus, he exemplified this in, in such a great way. You know, he was a friend of sinners. He befriended religious people. He befriended those who were mentally ill. He befriended those who were, who were crippled, who were lame, who were hurting, who were alone, who were homeless, and even those who thought that they had it all together. He was a friend of them all because he was on mission to restore people. Whether they walk through these church doors or whether we see them on the outside, we should welcome everyone as family. This is being a fisher of men. When I was a boy, I, uh, I competed in these, these tournaments. These, they were called kidfish. And there would be hundreds of kids around this big pond, and they would stock the pond with catfish. And so it made it easier to catch a fish, all right? So, and I need that. So on this particular day, I ended, up in, I ended up catching the biggest fish in my age group. And so what that meant was that I want a boat, I want $150, and I want, I want a free entry into the next kid fish tournament for a greater prize. And I was like a little kid. So this was, this was incredible for me. And so I'm this small little kid, and I catch this big 77-centimeter catfish, and I got my picture in the newspaper and everything. And it was awesome. But, you know, the, the credit, it may have gone to me on that day, and I received the reward. But I'll always know and make it known who truly deserved the credit 
and praise, and, and that's my dad. Because I don't know if they know this, but he's the one who actually caught the fish. And he handed me the rod and reel to finish reeling it in. And how similar is that to our God? We can be patient. We can be strategic. We can be intentional. We can be hospitable. We can do all these things to reach others for Christ. But at the end of the day, he is the one who changes hearts. He is the one who uses the power of his Holy Spirit to transform somebody from the inside out. And so our job in that is to be obedient and trust him in our fishing. Would you all stand to your feet with me?